Let's start the show today talking about something uplifting. Good news for a change. Something that will warm your heart. I mean, this is so heartwarming. I wanted to talk about this right off at the beginning of the show. So there's a country singer by the name of Raylan. You probably know who she is. Um, Up and coming, very famous, very pretty voice. Um, And she's releasing a new album. And on this album is a song that um, she fully acknowledges might be controversial because it's pro-life. This song, so it's a good country song. I listened to it several times. It's a good country song in and of itself, but it's also the message behind this. The the country song is the story of a woman who engaged in an extramarital affair and got pregnant as a result of that affair. And instead of aborting that child, which I think society, feminism, you know, the left would tell us to do in the face of a, you know, terrible thing happening like that, you know, getting pregnant uh, from an affair is a terrible thing to happen. Um, not the child, the child's not terrible, but it's a terrible circumstance. This woman decides to keep the child and um, it's a really emotional song. And it's a really good, good country song. And I just want to start the show today. Take a listen to how good this song is by Raylan. Oh, I just got done listening to what I would call the prequel to Love Triangle. Um, the song, She Chose Me, that I wrote um, definitely hits home to me on another level, so... I'm gonna let you hear a little bit of it because I'm very emotional these days. The song, by the way, is called She Chose Me. I mean, that's pretty obvious from listening to the chorus. She Chose Me. Highly recommend that you go listen to this. But here's what I would say. I have no idea if this is a true story or if these are just lyrics to a song, right? I mean, artists write narratives um, that can be based in reality or invented. It can be fictitious all the time. But regardless of whether this is true, this is the power of Hollywood. This is the power of pop culture. This is the power of the entertainment industry because this is actually what we should be doing, right? We should be highlighting... Um, stories of achievement, of overcoming, of the best of human nature. And sometimes the best of human nature comes out of the worst of human nature. Sometimes good is begot of evil. When people make the decision, even though they've sinned, to redeem themselves in a certain way. And I don't, I don't want to sound preachy here. I'm just saying this is what we want our young people to be listening to, to hear that, yeah, you're strong enough. You can do this. This is a good thing, a good choice that was made even in the face of something that was a bad circumstance. I was just so delighted by this song from Raylan. I thought it was so heartwarming, so uplifting that I wanted um, to share it with you. And on that note, uh, since we're done talking about uplifting stories of the day, let's talk about some of the, some of the, how do I say, bad news? It's not really bad news. It is something that you won't hear about on the mainstream media, though. Biden's foreign policy is so dangerous Other media pundits won't talk about it. We will. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. Okay, Joe Biden's foreign policy is so dangerous. It's so 
far-reaching, obviously, around the globe. That's what foreign policy means. But it is so bad and so destructive that the mainstream media won't talk about it. I was actually shocked the mainstream media even talked about Afghanistan. But Afghanistan is a drop in the bucket compared to what Joe Biden's choices are leading to in situations around the world. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to talk to you about Ned. So Ned is an up-and-coming new brand of natural remedies that use CBD to address a lot of life's ailments. Ned is your, uh, what I would call your approachable CBD product. CBD products can help you combat anything, stress, sleep, pain, anxiety, even inflammation in your body. Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA-certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer, but I want to talk about Ned's brand new product, uh, which has been in development for over a year, the De-Stress Blend. This is a one-to-one -one formula of CBD and CBG. It's made from the world's purest full-spectrum hemp and features a botanical infusion of all kinds of different things. If you want to try the new De-Stress Blend from Ned, a brand that we love and trust, we have a special offer for the Liz Wheeler Show audience. Every order over $40 qualifies for 15% off and free De-Stress Blend sample. It's great. So go to helloned.com slash Liz or enter Liz at checkout to take advantage of this offer. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash Liz to get 15% off plus a free de-stress blend sample of any order over $40. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring our program and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Okay, Joe Biden's foreign policy. It's funny how the mainstream media, when, when Trump was in office, could not stop obsessing about his foreign policy. They told us he was colluding with China. They told us he was buddying uh, or colluding with Russia. They told us that he was going to start war with China. They told us um, that he was buddying up to North Korean dictators. They told us he was going to, you know, I don't know, blow something up in Iran. All the mainstream media was obsessed with was... Trump's foreign policy, and none of their predictions obviously came true because Trump did a very good job with foreign policy. But the contrast is funny because they were so upset or so obsessed and upset with Trump's foreign policy, yet they don't even bother to look at how destructive and how dangerous Joe Biden's foreign policy is. What I mean by this is the United States, under the helm of Joe Biden, of course, Biden's State Department, literally just caved to China's what's called hostage diplomacy. This is a very, very dangerous strategy that's been used by China. It's, it's, a, it's a tactic, really, that China used against the United States. And the United States, under Joe Biden, Biden caved to this. This is what happened. So there is a woman who works for Huawei who, her name is Meng Wanzhou. She's the chief financial officer, actually, for Huawei Technologies. I think she's the daughter of the founder. And she was wanted in the U.S. by the DOJ because she was laundering money or something, laundering money uh, on behalf of Iran, a subsidiary of Iran, really shady, shady stuff, national security threat. And the Department of Justice wanted to arrest her for this. Well, what happened is she was arrested in Vancouver by the Canadian authorities on behalf of the United States. And you know what China did in response to this? They arrested two Canadians, both of whom's name happened to be Michael, so we'll call them the two Canadian Michaels, China arrested the two Canadian Michaels who were imprisoned then by the Chinese Communist Party, imprisoned in China on false charges for over a thousand days. This is what China did to retaliate because the daughter of the Huawei founder, the chief financial officer of Huawei, um, was arrested in Vancouver. And she, she was kept in Vancouver under, I think she was out on bail, but in her house in Vancouver. And so, 
these two Michaels were just released back to Canada and there were headlines. You might've seen these headlines. There were headlines celebrating the release of these two Michaels. And don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, they were falsely accused of, I don't know, whatever China always falsely accuses people of, of stealing state secrets and undermining the state and blah, blah, blah. Obviously untrue. They were released and that's wonderful because I'm sure that they suffered tremendously under imprisonment of the Chinese, gov uh, the Chinese communist government. But the fact of the matter is, the reason that these two Canadian Michaels were released by the Chinese communists was because the Canadian government, at, given permission by Biden's administration, released Meng Wanzhou, the chief financial officer of Huawei. She went back to China. No repercussions for her financial crimes. None. She's not under any threat of prosecution now. She didn't have to pay anything back. Nothing. I mean, th this was bank and wire fraud charges. These, these allegations were related um, to, the, or these charges were related to allegations that she misled a bank about Huawei's relationship with a subsidiary of Iran. This is serious, serious stuff. Iran is a state sponsor of terror. But she got let go because China kidnapped the two Michaels and held them hostage until she was released. So when they were released because this Chinese woman was given back to China, Biden literally fell for what's called hostage diplomacy. This is the most horrendous thing. What kind of message does this send to China now? That whenever the US does something that they don't like, they can just kidnap citizens, maybe not even American citizens, but citizens of our allies like Canada. And the US will cave to that. You threaten a US life and we'll give you back your crook. I mean, not just China, but the Biden administration caving to this hostage diplomacy. What kind of message does that send to the Taliban? How many American citizens are still in Afghanistan where the Taliban has taken over? And now what? The Taliban is just supposed to think, well, we can kidnap a couple of American citizens and we can get exactly what we want because that's exactly what happened when China did it. This is the weakest, most dangerous, destructive foreign policy conducted by the Biden administration. And where's the mainstream media? Where are the media reports about this? There's nothing. There's nothing. No one's talking about this, even though this actively puts at risk American citizens around the globe. Because now any adversary, any hostile nation thinks that they can just snatch up, kidnap, issue false charges against American citizens or citizens of our allies, and the US government under Biden will cave to their demands. So you're at risk from this. I'm at risk from this. Anybody who travels outside of the country is at risk from Biden's terrible foreign policy. And it, it's not just, it's not just this hostage diplomacy that Biden has now allowed on the international stage. It's shocking. Iran is now reportedly days away from acquiring um, the capacity to build a nuclear weapon. We've known that this has been happening, right? For years and years. They violated the JCPOA, Biden, or Obama and Biden's stupid Iran nuclear deal. They never had any intention of following that. Um, obviously, they violated it from day one. And Biden, after, after the Trump administration punished Iran for it and sanctioned them for violating and withdrew from the Iran deal, as he should have, that was the strong move. Biden wants to renegotiate it. He, he removed sanctions and restrictions. He allowed money to flow in to the Iranian government, not the people, of course not the people, the Iranian government who sponsors terrorism against Americans and our allies around the world, so now Iran is days away, perhaps, from being able to achieve nuclear power here. And they broke nuclear agreements, international nuclear agreements, again. Why? 
because of the Biden administration, because of the Biden administration's weakness, because Biden never held them accountable for violating the JCPOA. So what Iran did this time is there was an agreement reached um, with the IAEA and that would allow the IAEA, that's essentially the International Inspectors for Nuclear Weapons, um, Atomic Energy Association, I think it is. The IAEA was supposed to send inspectors to service damaged monitoring equipment at one of Iran's nuclear facilities, right? So the IAEA was monitoring Iran's facilities. They had um, their equipment, their monitoring equipment was damaged. They were supposed to be allowed to send uh, technicians to service that. But suddenly, Iran decided that they weren't going to let the IAEA inspectors repair their equipment and continue this monitoring. I wonder why. Because Iran is just days away, weeks away, from being able to have the capacity to build a nuclear weapon. I mean, the defense minister of Israel said 10 weeks, that's his estimate, 10 weeks away from acquiring weapons-grade materials necessary for a nuclear weapon. The New York Times reported not quite a month ago, a couple weeks ago, that according to the IAEA, Iran, quote, has come within roughly a month of having enough material to fuel a single nuclear weapon. And how do they want to use that, that nuclear weapon? Against the United States? Possibly against Israel? Oh yeah, against Israel, our most powerful ally in the Middle East. The reason the Middle East is as stable as it even is, Iran literally wants to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And because of Biden's disastrous, destructive, dangerous foreign policy, within days, weeks, a month, Iran might have the capacity to do that. Where is the media talking about this? This is something that impacts the entire world. They were certainly busy enough disliking how Trump referred to Russian President Vladimir Putin and North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. They certainly had enough headlines about that, which harmed no one. But this, Biden's disastrous foreign policy, uh, this is going to hit us close to home. And the mainstream media literally doesn't care. Does not care. Just like the mainstream media, by the way, didn't care when General Milley reportedly, according to Bob Woodward's newest book, um, made those treasonous, allegedly seemingly treasonous phone calls to China saying that he would warn China if President Trump was going to activate the nuclear codes against, against the Chinese. Now, this week, Milley in front of the Senate tried to explain away these shady phone calls uh, to his Chinese counterpart and part of the uh, in head, in charge of the Chinese Communist Army. But do we believe his explanation? We're gonna talk about that in a second, but first let me talk to you about Headspace. So in this era, in our culture of high stress all the time, you've probably perhaps tried meditation. Perhaps it didn't work for you. Or maybe you felt like you were doing the meditation wrong and that's why it didn't work. Well, if mental health is part of your self-care plan this year, then you owe it to yourself to try Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of relaxation in the form of guided meditations. And it all comes in a very easy to use app on your smartphone. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Are you overwhelmed? Headspace has a three-minute meditation for you. Need some help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions for their that their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. And you deserve to feel happier. Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash Liz. That's headspace.com slash Liz for a free one-month trial with access to their full library of meditations. This is the best deal offered right now headspace.com slash Liz, headspace.com slash Liz to take advantage of their special offer. You deserve it. Try it out. I think you'll like it. 
Okay, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about General Milley's testimony in just a second um, because it's really important. But remember, General Milley is the joint the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, which oversees the entire military. So he has tremendous tremendous responsibility for the Biden administration's botched withdrawal from Afghanistan, which led to the death of 13 U.S. service members and hundreds of dead um, Afghan civilians. And of course, the military brass, when Biden wanted to withdraw in this horrendous manner from Afghanistan, they should have, you know, thrown their rank down on the desk and said, I will resign before I will take part in this kind of disastrous withdrawal. Millie didn't do that. Of course he didn't. Millie didn't do that. And members of the military that are not the military brass in Washington, D.C., the men and women who actually serve and sacrifice, putting their lives on the line and commanding those who put their lives on the line, the men and women in our military were horrified. And you remember, I think it was a week and a half ago, we talked about on this show, um, we talked about Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller. He is obviously a Lieutenant Colonel in the United States Marine Corps. He made a video calling out military brass, asking the chain of command, the military leadership, how they could let this happen. How could you go along with this knowing that it would and did lead to the death of American service members who you're supposed to protect? So Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller ended up resigning his commission in the United States Marine Corps because, um, because he said he wasn't going to be part of this anymore. He wasn't going to be part of the corruption, the wokeness at the top of our military. And after he published this video and subsequent videos on his YouTube channel, the uh, Marines actually issued a gag order on him. They told him under threat of arrest to stop speaking out against the Biden administration and against the military brass for their decisions in Afghanistan. They issued a gag order. And Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller did not comply with that gag order. In fact, he posted it online. He made a video about it showing the gag order he received. And he was arrested. Right now, Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller is in the brig. He has been put in jail. That's the military equivalent of jail. He's been put in jail for speaking out against the Biden administration in subordination against his military leadership. And I think that's awful. You, you can disagree with some of the things that Stuart Scheller said, sure. But the fact of the matter is he was speaking out. He had the guts to do what General Milley did not do. And that is say, wait a second, to the Biden administration, wait a second, what you're doing is causing the death of U.S. service members. And you should be held accountable for this. There should be accountability at the top of the military for what happened in Afghanistan. And he was thrown in jail for this, in the brig. He was arrested after he refused to comply with the gag order. I don't think that's right. I think that is wrong. There should be accountability. And there should be accountability from General Milley. He testified in the Senate about Afghanistan. I just don't know if it was good enough. I don't know if it was good enough. There, there, there were a couple of things that stuck out to me when I watched this testimony. So first of all, when General Milley was asked how many Americans are still to this day, almost a month after the withdrawal, still to this day in Afghanistan, how did he answer? He deferred to the State Department. He didn't say how many American citizens are still in Afghanistan trapped with the Taliban. He didn't say. I mean, come on, man. You don't, you don't say the number of Americans. Why? Because it reflects poorly on you? It should reflect poorly on you. It's horrible. It's horrible. Instead, like I said, he deferred 
to the State Department, and he tried to defend himself. This is actually interesting, and I, I wonder if this is true. I wonder, somebody has to be telling a lie here. Somebody is telling a lie here. Uh, either Biden or his top generals. I don't know who it is, but somebody is not telling the truth because Biden told the American people that nobody advised him to leave a residual force in Afghanistan. He said that none of his military generals told him to leave, you know, 2,500 um, American troops in there to make sure that the Taliban doesn't take over and that it doesn't become a power vacuum that Al-Qaeda or ISIS-K or any other terror organization could use as their safe haven. Biden says no one advised him to leave a residual force which he didn't, obviously. But General Milley said under oath in the United States Senate that he told Biden, he advised the president to leave 2,500 troops, a residual fourth in Afghanistan. So one person is telling the truth and one person is lying. Somebody's lying. Either the president of the United States is lying to you or General Milley is lying to you. I, 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 don't know. You can't judge by their characters because they're both don't seem to be men of character. I have no idea who's lying, but somebody's lying. And we, the American people, um, deserve to know who. Millie did admit that the credibility of the United States has been damaged by this botched withdrawal. Um, duh. I mean, that's not really, that's not really rocket science or expert analysis here. But when Millie was pressed on his phone calls, these phone calls that were reported by Bob Woodward in his latest book, Peril, these phone calls, um, these two phone calls to China that Millie is allegedly or allegedly took part in, one of which um, he promised to notify the Chinese if we were, we, the United States, were going to attack them, which is literally treasonous. It's actually treasonous to say, hey, adversary or enemy, I'll let you know. I will spy for you and let you know if we're going to attack you before we attack you so that you can protect yourself or counterattack. There's actually treason. He attempted to defend this phone call. Um, and I'll, 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 let, I'll let him speak for himself. I'll let you hear this yourself. Take a listen to this. With respect to the Chinese calls, I routinely communicated with my counterpart, General Lee, with the knowledge and coordination of civilian oversight. I am specifically directed to communicate with the Chinese by Department of Defense guidance, the policy dialogue system, these military-to-military -military communications at the highest level are critical to the security of the United States in order to deconflict military actions, manage crisis, and present, prevent war between great powers that are armed with the world's most deadliest weapons. The calls on 30 October and 8 January were coordinated before and after with Secretary Esper and Acting Secretary Miller's staffs and the interagency. The specific purpose of the October and January calls were to generate or were generated by concerning intelligence, which caused us to believe the Chinese were worried about an attack on them by the United States. I know, I am certain that President Trump did not intend to attack the Chinese, and it is my directed responsibility, and it was my directed responsibility by the Secretary to convey that intent to the Chinese. My task at that time was to de-escalate. My message again was consistent. Stay calm, steady, and de-escalate. We are not going to attack you. I don't think that's good enough. I mean, it's another case of somebody's lying. Either Bob Woodward is lying about his report of what that phone call contained when he claimed that Millie said, I will let you know if we're going to attack. Not just that Millie said, we are not going to attack, but I will 
give you prior warning if President Trump is going to attack you. So either Woodward is lying in his report about this phone call or Milley is lying about what he said. He didn't, to my knowledge, deny that he said that he would warn China. I don't care what his intent was. I don't care if his intent was to de-escalate. If you say that you will warn China before the president attacks, then you are committing treason. This is not a good enough answer. I mean, there is absolutely no question that General Milley should resign. There should be an investigation into whether the allegations in Bob Woodward's book are true and accurate. Because if it's true that General Milley committed treason by saying he would warn the Chinese if Trump was going to attack, and additionally, the second allegation from Bob Woodward, and this, this actually should be the, the, the worst of them all, this should be the headline, that General Milley got together a group of military brass and said, if the president of the United States, Donald Trump at the time, activates the nuclear codes, you check with me before you follow his orders, that's a coup right there. If that is true, we're not just talking about resignation here. We're talking about court-martialing. There should be an absolute full investigation into General Milley because his answers are just not good enough. This, this is partially why the Biden administration's foreign policy is so dangerous because people like Milley are in charge of it and Biden stands by generals like Milley. It's so dangerous. It's so destruction. And make no mistake, it, it is and will continue to impact us very close to home. So Tulsi Gabbard is still a Democrat, I think. I'm not sure why she's a Democrat because she seems to be red-pilled. She seems to be um, acting as though she's essentially a conservative. I know she has a, a few nutty views, in my opinion, but um, this, this video that I, I wanna talk about is perhaps the most conservative I've ever seen Tulsi Gabbard. I'm gonna show you that in just a second, but first, I wanna talk um, about my YAF campus tour. This fall, I'm headed to college campuses all across America in partnership with my friends at Young America's Foundation. At these events, I'll be talking directly with you and your peers about issues that impact all of our lives. Plus, the most fun part, the most controversial part, I will be taking questions live at this event. Now, YAF is the master of these events. They've been hosting speakers on campuses for literally decades. I am thrilled to uh, be working with YAF to come visit your school. Um, please put in a request to host an event with me at your campus this fall. And if you do, do it quickly because these spots are filling up fast. We've only announced this in the past week and already um, my schedule is nearly full. So if you want to host me on campus, it's super easy. All you have to do is go to lizwheelershow.com slash YAF. That's lizwheelershow.com slash YAF. I've always loved meeting students on campus and at YAF's conferences. It's one of my favorite parts of my job. What are we going to talk about? I don't know, foreign policy, abortion, vaccine mandates, cancel culture, Marxism, feminism, you name it. You know it's going to get interesting during the Q&A when the leftists show up too. So don't miss out. Put in a request today to host an event with yours truly on your college campus, lizwheelershow.com slash YAF, lizwheelershow.com slash YAF, and I'll see you on campus this fall. Okay, Tulsi Gabbard. Has Tulsi Gabbard been completely red-pilled? I don't know. I'll let you decide that for yourself. We'll talk about it. We'll discuss it back and forth here in just a second. Watch this video. I want to know what you think of this. This is pretty interesting. Take a listen. Jesse, the, the issue here, and, and I consider Joe Biden a friend, but he's absolutely wrong. And he needs to apologize to the American people for saying what he said. And, and here's why. You know, he's somebody who's been very outspoken as being against autocrats, autocracies, dictators. But what he essentially did was act as judge, jury, and executioner for these Customs and Border Patrol agents on horseback. How can they expect to have any kind of fair outcome to an investigation when the President of the United States 
has already declared their guilt and that they will be punished. And the bigger issue here that this points to, which is one that, that we all need to be concerned about, is that if we are no longer a country of laws, if we are no longer a country where we know we will, presume, we will be presumed innocent uh, unless proven guilty, then we don't have a democracy. And that's the increasing feeling that a lot of us have, is that we are losing our democracy and moving closer and closer to what essentially is an autocracy. There's not a democratic word in that entire, uh, in that in, in that entire spiel from Tulsi Gabbard. Is she a Democrat anymore? Because, I mean, th this is solidly constitutional conservative stuff she's saying right now, that if you, if you abandon the idea of innocence until proven guilty, then that's unjust. That's unfair. I mean, of course it's unconstitutional. It's not a Democratic or a Republican form of government with a lowercase Democratic, lowercase Republican, of course. Um, we would be losing our inherent freedoms, our constitutional protections, if, if we move towards this idea where politicians just declare based on a video clip that someone's guilty and will be punished. I mean, Joe Biden literally promised to punish these border patrol agents who were twirling their reins to make sure that migrants didn't get close to the horse so that the horse didn't get hurt, the migrant didn't get hurt, and the agent didn't get hurt. It wasn't a whip. No migrants were touched by these reins. Yet Biden, after viewing these photos and videos, said, I promise you, those people will pay. There will be an under investigation underway now, and there will be consequences. There will be consequences. Okay, why is there an investigation if you already say that there will be consequences? Why not just jump to the consequences? Because otherwise, it's just a show trial. It's just you dictating that you didn't like something. In fact, you made up something. You, you knew the optics at the border was bad, so you made up a controversy to try to make it seem like Border Patrol agents who are protecting our nation were abusing human beings. You made that up, and then you said that they will be punished for it, even though they didn't do it, and you're not even going to let the investigation happen. It's despicable. It's despicable. And then Jen Psaki has the audacity to claim, even, even Obama says open borders doesn't work, but Jen Psaki says we do not have open borders. Take, this is unbelievable. Take a listen to this. And then uh, President Obama said on ABC uh, about the border. Uh, immigration President Obama or President Biden? President Obama okay. um, on ABC said immigration is tough. This was an interview that aired on Good Morning America. Got it, yes. Um, Immigration is tough. It's, it has always been because on one hand, I think we're naturally a people that wants to help others. At the same time, we're a nation state. We have borders. The idea that we can just have open borders is something that, as a practical matter, is unsustainable. Does President Biden agree with President Obama that open borders is unsustainable? We don't have open borders. So yes, he agrees. Okay. And then did the White House have any discussions with ABC or President Obama about the content of that interview? Not that I'm aware of. Obviously, the the current president, the former president, are uh, friends, and they engage on a regular basis, but I'm not aware of any conversations about it. The smugness, that smile. How can you claim that we do not have open borders when anyone from anywhere can come to our border, claim asylum without having to make a case for it, um, be temporarily detained? All they have to do is claim they're pregnant or claim they're a family unit. They are released into the country, given a court date that the government really doesn't expect them to show up for, the vast majority of people don't, and then you fade into the shadows and live uh, free of any repercussion in the United States. Is that not an open border? Because the result of that was someone who's not a citizen coming here without our permission, we let them across without doing anything meaningful to stop them, and then they live and reside permanently in the United States without having gone through our legal process. That's literally the definition of an open border. Saki is a smug, condescending liar.
Even former President Obama knows that what Joe Biden is doing right now constitutes an open border. That's what it means. It's an open border. It is. And she knows it. That's why she's being so smug and so condescending. So just so we're, just so we're clear about that. Senator Ted Cruz um, got Democrat witnesses in the United States Senate to admit that they believe that voter ID laws are racist, not because asking an individual to show their ID in order to participate in voting um, is inherently racist or has the impact of being racist, but just because these Democrats, I guess, think that they can peer into politicians' hearts and minds and see the intent behind the law. Um, it's quite something. I mean, it's quite something to watch. Take a listen to this. Uh, I want to start with a question for each of the five witnesses. Uh, in your judgment, are voter ID laws racist? Professor Tolson. Thank you for that question. Um, so it depends. One thing we have to stop doing is treating all voter ID laws as the same. Okay, so your answer, I, I, I want to move quickly, so it depends is your answer? Yes, it that's my answer. Okay, so what voter ID laws are racist? Apologies, Mr. Cruz, your state of Texas, perhaps? Okay, so you think the entire state of Texas is racist. What about requiring an ID to vote is racist? Um, so I think, sir, that's a pretty reductive. I'm not saying the entire state of Texas is racist. You just but said my state of Texas. So you tell me your what about I the Texas voter oh, ID laws is racist. So the fact that the voter ID law was put into place to diminish the political power of Latinos uh, with racist intent and it had been found to you're have You're asserting that. Intent, What's your evidence for that? Uh, the, the federal district court that first resolved the constitutionality of Texas's voter ID law. Okay. So your view is voter ID laws are racist. How about you, Mr. Yang? I agree with Professor Tulsa. Voter ID laws can be racist. Okay, that's the Mr. Science. There are some voter ID laws that are racially discriminatory in intent. But how about in, in practice? In intent, I, fine, you, you say there's some racist with, with a malevolent yeah. intent lurking in the back of their mind. But let's just talk about it as a practical matter. When I go to vote, they ask me for my ID. I pull out my ID, I show it to them, I vote. Is that racist? If the law that requires you to do that was motivated by racially discriminatory intent under our constitution. Set aside intent. I'm that. asking about the effect. Yes, in effect, okay. I think that Ms. there are Reardon. discriminatory effects from a number of voter ID laws. Okay, thank I'm you, Mr. I'm going to give the witness a chance to answer the question. Go ahead, Mr. Sign. Yes, in effect, I think many voter ID laws are discriminatory okay. and in design. They are designed to have that effect. Okay, Ms. Reardon. No, sir. Mr. Van uh, Spakovsky. Uh, no, particularly because every single state that has passed an ID law has put in a provision to provide a free ID to anyone who doesn't have one. The turnout numbers show it has no effect. And I would remind everyone that the current version of the Texas voter ID law for in-person voting, the Obama administration agreed in court, in a court filing, that they were satisfied with it and that it was not discriminatory. So, first of all, Ted Cruz smoked them, absolutely smoked them, um, which is a joy to watch, a joy to listen to, and a joy to see. But here's what I don't get. So every person, I, I support voter ID. Most people that I know, Democrat and Republican, support voter ID. And none of us have racist intents, obviously. The, the idea behind voter ID is to prevent voter fraud. It's to prevent voter disenfranchisement. It's pr to prevent people from stealing our vote. It has nothing to do with the color of somebody's skin or their country of origin or where their ancestors came from or any, any such nonsense. That's, that's liberal leftist invention. That's a created narrative. Obviously, voter ID is not racist. And those who, those who support voter ID have, have no racist intent. But what I find very interesting about leftists is they think 
that they can look into people's hearts and minds and determine what your true intent is. They think that you don't even know your true intent, that because of the color of your skin, you have this secret embedded, ingrained, brainwashed, indoctrinated intent that you are blind to even seeing, that you can't see it, but they can see it. They can look into your heart. They can look into your mind and they can tell you based on the color of your skin and maybe your political party affiliation, they can tell you what your intent is. And I just think as a country, we should collectively call bullshit on that because that is, first of all, that's racist. It's an actual racist viewpoint of the left, but it is so ridiculous and so outrageous and it is completely unsupported by facts and data. And what I mean by that is the majority of Americans support voter ID. We're not talking about just Republicans. We're not just talking about white people even. We're talking about the majority of Americans across all political parties and all racial demographics support voter ID. So operating by the premise of the left then are 81% of Americans, that's what the Monmouth poll says, 81% of Americans, both parties support voter ID. So are eight out of 10 Americans racist? Do they have racist intent in their support of voter ID? Are they unaware of their own racism that only the Democrats can tell them, can identify what's in their hearts and minds? 62% of Democrats, according to the Monmouth poll, support voter ID. Are six out of 10 Democrats, the majority of Democrats, are they racist? Unaware of their own racism that they need a few radical leftist elitists to point out that racism that they're blind to in their own heart and their own mind? No, obviously that's patently absurd. That's ridiculous. 69% of black people support voter ID. Are they racist? I don't think so. No, this, this, this radical leftist idea that voter ID is racist is unsupported by any and all data. And that's the beauty of debunking narratives like this is there is not one piece of data, one number, one piece of evidence, anything tangible that supports this outrageous claim by the left. And Hans von Spakovsky, a good friend of mine, is correct um, when he says that states that have implemented voter ID laws ensure that this does not have a disproportionate impact on people of color or low-income people. They provide, the states provide free government-issued ID cards for people who can't afford it so that level of income is never an issue. So they would, if there was ever a disparity of impact on you know, income level, the free ID cards um, from the government would take care of that problem. So obviously the intent is not to discriminate against a certain race or a certain class of people. It's simply to ensure that voter fraud uh, cannot take place. But again, the Democrats don't care about that. They're only interested in speculation. They can never prove racial intent. Their actual intent, of course, is to protect against voter fraud. But the impacts, Senator Ted Cruz is absolutely right to uh, differentiate between invented intent or allegations, invented allegations of intent from the Democrats and the actual impact. The impact of voter ID, let's remember, uh, the data contradicts the Democrats' narrative that voter ID is racist. Even Reuters reports that more white people than black people don't have government-issued ID. So if you have voter ID laws, more white people are impacted by this than black people. Because nationally across our country, 2% of white people do not have government-issued IDs and 3% of black people. So basically the vast majority of everybody has voter ID and there's barely any difference, really statistically insignificant difference percentage-wise uh, between racial demographics of who has ID and who doesn't have ID. But because there are more white people in our country than black people, 2% of all white people in our country is a much, much, much larger number than 3% of black people. So more white people in our country who don't have ID 
would be forced to get ID if they want to vote than the number of black people who don't have ID who would have to get ID in order to vote in states that have voter ID laws. If you follow that, the Democrats are not interested in the truth because all the data, all the numbers um, contradict them. It's also contradicted by the idea that you need a government ID, ID to get a job, to get on an airplane, to open a bank account, to get a credit card, to get a loan, to buy alcohol, cigarettes, to apply for food stamps or welfare or Medicaid or unemployment in order to rent a house, drive a car, get married, adopt a pet, rent a hotel room in order to apply and make, get a fishing license to buy a cell phone, to pick up a prescription, to donate blood, to buy an M-rated video game. You must show a government ID card. Are those policies racist? Obviously not. Obviously not. Now, the Democrats claim it's because the intent behind those is different, but that's absurd because you can't read what's in somebody's heart and mind. You can't invent something and place it in someone's um, body and then claim that they're blind to it, but you can see it because you're a, you're a Democrat. No, the impact of these, of these voter ID laws is that turnout, voter turnout increases because voters have an increased um, confidence in our election system, in, in their vote, in the integrity of their vote after voter ID. A, a 2008 study conducted by the University of Missouri found that voter turnout in Indiana, the whole state after voter ID laws, actually increased. We saw this in Alabama too. In Alabama, African-Americans, this was in 2016 in the Senate race, African-Americans made up 28% of all voters, um, which was greater than the percentage of the population of African-Americans in that, in that area. 26% of the population are African-American, but 28% of voters were African-American. That doesn't sound like that there was barrier to vote for African-American. And Alabama has one of the strictest voter ID laws in the nation. I mean, there was amazing turnout of black voters in Alabama because of their strong voter ID laws. It's, 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 counter to everything, every piece of data, every study, every empirical um, piece of evidence contradicts what the Democrats claim about voter ID. And you want to talk about intent? Ask Democrats why they ignore the fact, why they ignore their constituents' opinions, why they try to tell Black people that they're victims when Black people don't think so. Why? This is so insulting. It's so belittling. It's so condescending. Why do Democrats try to tell Black people how to think and how to feel? Well, perhaps it's because Democrats are okay with voter fraud, but more importantly, it's because Democrats want non-citizens to be allowed to vote. This is not hypothetical. In New York City, there is a bill that was introduced by Councilman, uh, by Councilman Rodriguez, he's from Washington Heights, that actually the goal of this bill is to supersede state law and to allow illegal, or not illegal, but legal residents who are not citizens of this country, foreign nationals, the ability to vote in local elections. They want, the Democrats want non-citizens to vote in local elections. The RNC is actually suing two cities in the state of Vermont because uh, the town charters in these cities allow non-citizens to vote in municipal elections. The, this is the goal of the radical left. They want literally foreign nationals to be allowed to take part in our United States elections. And so of course they don't want, of course they don't want any kind of provision that would protect the integrity of our vote, that would identify whether you're a citizen or not citizen, because they want non-citizens to be allowed to vote. They want non-citizens to be allowed to vote. So Senator Ted Cruz was exactly right to call Democrats out on their false narrative. It is false, it is fake. 
It's horrifying to think the Democrats think they have the ability to see in your heart and see in your mind and assign to you uh, bad intentions, evil racist intentions that you can't see because of the color of your skin, but they can see. It's absurd. Okay, now let's dial this down a second and uh, I wanna show you one of the funniest things that I have seen. Take a look at this picture. This is um, the Amazon Alexa on wheels. The Amazon Alexa on wheels, which um, I'm sorry, I don't think this is cool at all. I don't think this is advanced technology. I think this is a freaking creepy little robot that not, I mean, Amazon Alexa already has the ability to listen to you, right? We've seen, we've heard horror stories of Alexa eavesdropping. Now they can literally spy with their creepy little robot around your home. No, thank you. Get out of my house. Get off my lawn. That is so, so, so creepy. Absolutely not, Amazon. Get out of here. Um, Locals VIP of the week is C. Swanson 1. C. Swanson 1, welcome to the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals. We are delighted to have you part of, um, of our community. There are tens of thousands of us here. We talk about all kinds of different topics free of big tech censorship because Locals, as you know, it's uh, Dave Rubin's website. It's his endeavor and they're committed to free speech. They are fighting back against big tech censorship. We do all kinds of fun things on Locals. We have live question and answers. Whenever I have a thought, I run it by you uh, on a live stream. If you are a supporter, on Locals. There's uh, extended segments, as you know, just for Locals VIPs. Interviews, you get exclusive early sneak peeks of interviews a week ahead of when they're released publicly. All kinds of great stuff. C. Swanson, welcome to the Liz Wheeler Show community. We're glad to have you. Anyone else, welcome to join. We invite you to join us at lizwheelershow.com slash locals. On that note, the great and powerful Jay Hay says, it's time for me to stop talking once again. Um, I thank you for listening. I thank you for watching today. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Write us a glowing review. I read them all. Uh, I appreciate your time. As always, I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Assistant editor, Michael Wall. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-production manager, Victoria Metzl. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.